Thanks for tuning in to a Sunday service. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Greg Pettigrew. Morning once again. Uh, glad to have you guys here this morning. Uh, if you've been here with us the last few weeks or if you've been coming to Embrace for uh, however long years or no more than eight years because it hadn't existed more than eight years. But for years, you, reckon, you, you know and understand that we do every year from Mother's Day to Father's Day, we do a series of messages that are based on the family. We know that God created the family. This series is called Faithful Families. It's from Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Um, go ahead, put those verses up, Emily, if you would. We'll read them real quick. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So from that, we see that God created male and he created female. You know, we know that God looked down upon his creation. He said, everything is good. He said, this is good, this is good, this is good. Until he came to man, Adam by himself, and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And so he plucked the rib from Adam. He created Eve. So in that instance, he created male and female so that they could be a family. He told them, be fruitful and multiply, have kids, basically. And so in all of this, we see that the family is ordained of God. It is created by God and it is supposed to be led by God. You know, we, we've been doing this for, this is the fourth week we've been on this series. The first week we brought uh, Glenn and Miss Donna Crotwell up and their kids and, and they talked about leaving a legacy in family leaving a legacy with their kids so that their kids could then raise their kids up. And this legacy just continues on. And it continues by the way that you lead now is the way that your children are going to lead later. And, and so then the second week, um, the Harrison, uh, Kim and, and Jimmy Harrison did a video on having the, the marriage and the master, how God, Jesus has to be first within the marriage. A marriage is not going to work. A marriage is not going to last. A marriage is not going to be as... Uh, fruitful or as uh, thriving as it should be if Jesus is not the head of that household. Uh, you know, I know that's one thing that we teach through recovery, that we teach here at Embrace, that the Bible teaches us that the, the Jesus has to be first in that household, that we have to, it, it all begins with him. It, he, he starts it and then we, we learn from him. Last week, we had Brother Andy and Miss Laurie come up here and they talked about the pivots in parenting, that we have to be ready and, and willing and able to adjust at times because everything ain't going to happen exactly like you think it should happen, right? I have in my mind the way that I think that things are going to go with Nova Grace. It ain't happened yet. You know, little girl, some, she got a hard head from somebody. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out who it's from. But it's a hard head. She does things her way. She lets you know if you're trying to do things your way that she wants to do things her way. Uh, you know, I, I'm constantly going through this. And every time I start complaining or saying something to Brother Andy, which I don't complain about that baby. I love that baby. But I'll be telling Brother Andy about it. And he'll say, you prayed for this. <laughs> you prayed for this. So get ready. This is, this is how it's going to be. 
And, and so I love, I love my baby girl. I love raising her. And so, but you have to be ready to make adjustments within the role of being a parent. And then today, uh, we want to talk about something else as we were getting ready for this series of messages and knowing that, that we were going to have a, a, a team of missionaries in, is that my daughter right now? Yeah, see, I told y'all, I told y'all, man, you know, uh, going to pivot her right on out of building in a minute, but uh, making pivots, right? But, you know, when, when we were doing this, Brother Andy told me, you know, to, that we went through what all the messages were going to be, and we decided that this was going to be a good message for me to preach. And uh, you, let me tell you, it, put the title up there. It's, it's defeating enablement and entitlement is the message that we have today. This is another aspect of parenting. And so, you know, I, I, in this country today, we have a spirit of offense. Have, do y'all know that? Uh, have y'all seen that? Everybody's offended over something. It don't matter what you do or what you say, everybody is offended over something. You know, whether you're on uh, this side or that side, it don't, if you own a gun, I'm offended. If you don't own a gun, I'm offended. You know, if you say hello to me, you just offended me. If you don't say hello to me, I'm definitely offended. You know, if you call me, I'm offended. If you don't call me, I'm offended. We're all, you can't please everybody. Somebody is going to be offended by what you do or say because of this spirit of offense that we have in this country today. And I believe that this spirit of offense stems from uh, the entitlement that so many of us have that has been built on the back of enablement. You know, and so today, Brother Andy told me he thought that this would be a good message for me to preach. I was offended by that. Just, just so you know, I'm offended right now that, that he asked me to preach this. But I'm going to do it anyway. For some reason, he feels like I've been enabled and that I'm entitled. I'm so offended. So today, I brought up my enabler. I'm offended. I knew you would be. I knew you would be. I, that was the intention. But so y'all all know me. Y'all all know my story, you know, being in uh, a drug addict for as long as I was and everything. Um, through all of that, my mom, my dad, my dad, my dad, he, we were trying to figure out today if he was a part of the enablement. But this, this, this was the one that kept me going. Um, the one that I ran to, the one that I begged for money the one that, that gave me whatever I wanted. Um, and so this is my enabler, and, and that's why we believe that, that this message was, was a good one for me to preach. And so I just want to talk to you. We want to have a conversation here and just see how we can talk about enablement and maybe help somebody out that's dealing with enablement. Because with my mom, uh, I growing up, she told me and my sister, you know, that while she was a kid, she didn't really have anything. Uh, you know, uh, growing up in her family, she wasn't given a whole lot of stuff. And so she was going to make sure that we had things. And so my question for my mom is, where does the desire to just provide for your kid, to make provision for your kid, cross, in, uh, cross over into you actually becoming an enabler for your child? When you give everything they want without requiring anything back from them, um, you clearly came to believe that you 
all you had to do was come to me and ask, and I was going to give it to you, and that was the case. Um, and that's because her enablement led me into my entitlement. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I felt like, and I'm sure many other parents do, my child will never, you put whatever you want to in the blank, but for me it was my child would never be a drug addict. That's not going to happen. Even when I could clearly look at him and see that he was higher than a Georgia pine. 99% of his life, you can be offended, but that's the truth. (laughs) So it took me a long time to recognize that I was his enabler. And even then, if you enable, it's a difficult thing to break out of. You've done it for so long, you don't know how to do anything else but enable. And he would come to me and he would, he always had the best stories. (laughs) Even though they were clearly lies, they were the best stories. And it just, I couldn't say no. But thank God, thank God, I was a praying mother. And even though I was doing this, giving him whatever he asked for, money, letting him use my car when I clearly shouldn't because he had wrecked everything he owned. I'm a good driver. I I could tell you stories about invisible deer and women that were so short that they couldn't couldn't see over the steering wheel. But You ain't got to bring all that up. We don't have time for that. Anyway, I became so desperate to get him out of it, I was just praying constantly, begging God to not take his life until he could come to his senses and still enabling him the entire time. But God had a lot to teach both of us, and thank God. I think God. that kind of starts to get into my next question. With If, if there's someone here today who feels like they are an enabler, what advice would you give for them to get out of that spirit of enablement? It's so hard, but you have to learn to say no. And you don't... The best thing you can do, if if your kids want something, make them work for it. Uh, Make them do chores around the house. Save up their allowance or whatever. Because that was something I never did with him. Um, I didn't do nothing. His sister, on the other hand, on her own, got jobs and and did for herself. And, of course, she had her own set of problems, but that's neither here nor there. But that's the best thing you can do is just start saying no. And it's hard. I think sometimes it's harder on the parent who's been enabling than it is on the child who has been enabled because... You just love them so much, and you want to do for them. But there comes a time when you have to recognize that in loving them so much and giving things that are harmful to them, you are 
leading to their destruction. Amen. Amen. So we bring Jesus into the situation. That's what happened for me, um, was just seeing the love of Jesus through my family. Uh, you know, I know she was enabling me. I did feel entitled, but there came that point where there was so much Jesus, so much prayer, so much stuff that it, it began to resonate within me. And uh, now today she is not my enabler. <laughs> you know, we got over that. It, it happened for a long time. You know, she's been a mom for 48 years. Not that I'm 48, I'm 29. My sister's 48. Um, and, you know. He's lying in front of the church. I feel 29 is what I meant to say. I'm sorry. And as Bobo, I look, look 12, according to Bobo. So, except for the beard, you know, um, because I'm short. Nothing I can do about it. This is how Jesus made me. And, you know, sometimes I feel offended. But, uh, Mama, thank you for coming up and, and sharing about enablement. Yeah, so this morning, again, we're talking about defeating enablement and entitlement. Uh, it was a thing that I struggled with for so long. I, and I'm, I'm sure there's people in this church who have been there just like I have. You know, I know Brother Andy last week said something about, you know, uh, what he was talking about was for people up to the age of 21, because if you're over 21, you shouldn't be living with your family anyway. I was really offended by that because I lived with my parents until I was 34, you know. And so... That was just part of my enablement. It was part of my entitlement. You know, that, that, that thought that this, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This, this is where I'm at. You know, I'm, they owe me this, you know? And so this morning, I, I feel like we have a story in the Bible. It's a well-known story that, that kind of shows us two guys who were entitled because of a father who was an enabler. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't say those words in there, but as we read into this story, I think we can see that. And then we're going to use this story at the same time to figure out how we can defeat this spirit of enablement that so many of us have that has caused a spirit of entitlement within a lot of our, our children and, and maybe even some of ourselves. But this, the story we want to talk about this morning is uh, in Luke chapter 15, it's verses 11 through 32. We're not actually going to read all of that right now. Emily, if you want to just put that other back up there, we're going to save that for a little while. I'm just going to summarize uh, the story because it's a lot of verses and just for time's sake. So what's going on in this story? We have a young man who has come to his father. He said, look, dad, this is, there's two brothers. This is a younger brother. He said, look, dad, I, I want you to give me everything that I'm entitled to, basically. I want you to give me my portion of the inheritance. And the father did just that thing and gave it to him. The son goes off. He, he gets into, uh, the Bible says riotous living, you know, he gets off and he's just partying, he's just spending money, he's just doing what he wants to do, he's living how a lot of us have lived for a long time, out there just, just blowing it, you know, and there become there comes a famine within the land, and as this famine gets into land, he's already spent all of his money, doesn't have any money to buy food, he ends up having to, to slop hogs, basically, he's, he's in a pig pen, which for Jewish people back, it was, was an awful thing because, you know, the, the, this was an unclean animal that they weren't even supposed to come into contact with. And he's in a, a pig pen slopping hogs and looking at the, 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 the food that he's given them, the pods that he's given them and desiring to eat those things. That's how low this guy had gotten at that point. And so he comes up with this, this prayer, this plan 
to get himself back in good with his dad, right? And he goes back to his dad, and his dad sees him coming, runs to him, hugs him, puts a robe on him, puts a ring on him, says, y'all go, tells his servants, y'all go get the fatted calf. We finna kill this calf. We finna have a party. The older brother sees what's going on, or he sees that there's a party happening. He asks, what's what's going on? They say, your, your brother came home. We're having a, a party. We're celebrating. And then because of his entitlement, he, he, he says, oh, they, you know, y'all ain't never done nothing like this for me. You know, he gets mad over the situation. And, and so in this story, as I said this, I, I feel like we see these two brothers, a younger brother and an older brother, who both are just filled with this spirit of entitlement, right? They, they, the younger brother it begins with the younger brother coming to the father and saying, basically, because the inheritance is not given until the father passes away right? Then the older brother is actually given the first portion of the inheritance. So this younger brother is bypassing all of these uh, set things, all of these structures, all of the, the, the traditions, every, everything, the way that it's always been. He is bypassing all of that because his focus is only on him, right? And that's where so many of us are today. We, we live with that spirit of offense because our focus is on us. It's got to be me. It's got to be my way. It's got to be how I want things. Nobody else matters. Whoever I hurt, for me, my, it didn't matter when I hurt my parents to me because everything was about me. The world revolved about around me. I was so entitled. I thought that I was number one on this planet, right? And it didn't matter who I had to hurt to get what I wanted. I was taking care of Greg Pettigrew, you hear me? And, and the whole time, Greg Pettigrew wasn't doing nothing for himself right? My, my family was doing the things. They were the ones who were providing the things that I was just taking, 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 taking because I was stuck in that spirit of entitlement. And I feel like we see that with this younger brother going to the father and saying, hey, give me what's mine. He don't say, hey, father, you know, I know that you own all of this. I know that everything that, that, that we've got belongs to you. You're the head of this household. You're, you're in charge. Says none of that. He just goes to him and says, give me what's mine. How entitled is that? Right? It's, it's all about him. Give me what's mine. It don't matter. You know, I know basically what he's telling his dad is I wish you were dead. Because my feelings for you is that you're dead because everything is about me, nothing about you, then give me what's mine. I want it. I'm entitled to it. I deserve it. How many of us feel like we deserve things that aren't ours? Right? We feel like we deserve everything. I, I deserve a better job. I deserve more money. I, I deserve to be treated better. I deserve that promotion. I deserve for people to, to respond to me when I, I'm trying to talk to them. I deserve all of these things. It's that sense of entitlement, that, that, that feeling that it's all about me that puts us in that place where we think we deserve the things that we actually don't deserve. And then we see later on the older brother in an instance where he should be just like his dad, he should be rejoicing, he should be happy that his brother that was lost is now found and come home, we see the entitlement of the older brother. And you know, this is the thing. When I read that, when I read that where the older brother is, is telling his servants, and, and we're gonna read this later on, but I just wanna read it right now in, in the way that it, it sounds in my mind. When he asked them what's going on and he becomes angry, wouldn't go in, and then his father came out, and let's see, wait, Ah, <laughs> his father comes out and he answers and says to his father, 
uh, lo, these many years did I, this is the way that I read this. <laughs> this is the way that it sounds in my mind. Daddy, I've been doing everything you've ever asked me to do. I've been serving you my whole life. I've been doing this and I've been doing that and I've been running here and running there. I've been cake taking care of your sheep. I've been doing this. I've been doing, you ain't never even killed me a goat. I want a goat. Where's my goat? Huh? That's the way I hear it whining in my head because I feel like a lot of us that are entitled, we, 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 we act this way because we think, hey, this is from, where's my goat at? You ain't even killed me a goat. I want my pig. Give me a pig. A pigeon will do. Where's my party with a pigeon? Huh? Just give me something. I deserve it. I deserve it. And it don't, it don't matter whether we feel like we're the younger brother or the older brother. They're both entitled. How did they get to that place that they were entitled without a father who enabled them to be there? You know, if the dad would have done what we as dads are called to do when the younger brother came to him and said, hey, give me what I deserve, give me what's mine, we see that the father is an enabler because he said he just gave it to him, right? Just like my mom was talking about, every time I came to her and said, hey, I want this, I want that, give me this, give me that, she gave it to me. That is enablement. We see this father just giving his son what he wants. You know, we never see that, that he has done that for his older brother. You know, and in fact, the older brother says, you've never done anything for me. So it's not always the enablement that gets us to the entitlement. But in this case, for the younger brother, we see the enablement of him just giving him what he asked for. And how long has he been doing that? What made this brother, this younger brother feel like he could go to his father and say these things without, you know, this is the only story that we have of this family, but you've got to think in their history, there have to be instances where he's just been given, 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 or this son never would have come to him and asked these things in the first place. And so we can recognize that this is a family that has some enablement going on that has led to some entitlement happening, right? And so, uh, you know, we, we can hear, I think, the entitlement in their voices as we read this. If we read it from the, the, the perspective that I feel like I'm reading it from, and so we, we see in this story, well, then what can we use from this story? Right? What, what can we use? What, what's the, what then is the, the strategy that we can come up with to win against this enablement entitlement, right? What, what is the strategy that, that we can formulate to defeat enablement and entitlement, to win against enablement and entitlement? And so I, I've looked at this story and I've seen the enablement, I've seen the entitlement, but at the same time, I, I've seen a way that we can get past this. I've looked at what the father's doing. Yeah, I, I, I see that he enabled his son, but then I'm seeing how he's reacting afterward. And I'm learning how then that we can get past this spirit of enablement, this spirit of entitlement that is so prevalent within our society today, possibly even within this room today. How are we gonna get past that? How are we gonna defeat that? How are we gonna win against that? And so the first thing, I, I, I wanna read these verses right here. Go ahead and put up Luke 15, 13 through 16. This is right after the son has actually gone to his father and said, Father, give me the portion of my goods that, that falleth to me. 
And the father goes ahead and gives them to him. It says, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. He's gotten everything from his father. He's gotten all that he wanted. He, he's, he's been enabled in this moment. And then he goes off into this far country and there he lives how he's wanting to live. It says he wasted his substance with riotous living, living that party lifestyle. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. So he's gone off, done his thing the way he wanted to do it, like so many of us have. We've gone off and we've done things our way, thinking that our way was the way that was going to get us where we wanted to be, thinking our way was the best way, thinking our way was what was going to make our life complete. And then we end up feeling like this guy, you know, in the pit of a, a pig pen, wanting to eat the very food that we're giving the, the hogs, you know, uh, getting to that point that we're so low. And so I think the first thing, the first strategy that we've got is we got to do just like this father did. Because in my mind, what I'm thinking, if this is me, back in my days of enablement and entitlement, if this is me, I'm thinking, mama's going to be here, guys. You know, I, I'm in a low spot. I'm I'm struggling. Mama's finna get me out of it. You know, I'm locked up. I'm in jail. Mama's finna bail me out. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I ain't got no ride. Mama's finna show up to get me. I ain't got no money. Mama's finna unload some money on me. That, that was my way of thinking because mama always came to the rescue. So I think the first strategy that we must implore here is the stand back attack. The stand back attack. The father in this story did not run after his son. He let his son go off and do his thing and end up in a place where he had nothing. So many of us, uh, you know, we, we, we love our children so much. This is something that we say in recovery a lot. We love our children so much, we're going to love our children to death. You know, that's the statement. Oh, I love my kid to death. Don't love your kid to death. Uh, you, you enable your kid and, and you give your kid what they want to the point of them dying. We've got so many people, especially in this recovery community. We were talking about this earlier and talking about this last night, and it's been going on for a while, that we have lost because nobody has stopped this spirit of enablement and entitlement that they've had in their lives, and they have died in that because somebody has always come to the rescue. Somebody has always, let me tell you this, you don't have to be the hero in your kid's story all the time. You, there, there's, there, hey, there's a good hero. You can be that hero. If, if, if you're doing the right thing and leading them the right way, be that hero. But don't be the hero that enables them to continue living in the life that is leading to their death. You know, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to man. For me, it seems right to go save my baby. It seems right to do the things that's going to get my baby out of trouble. It's, but it says there's a way that seems right to man, but in its end, it leads to death. That's what I'm telling you today. The stand back attack is letting your child learn from their mistakes. We all learn from our mistakes. If a kid never makes mistakes, how are they going to learn from them? They're just going to continue to make them without ever learning from them if you jump in and get them out of it every single time. We've got to do this. Be, love your kid enough to step back and let them make a mistake. 
Love your kid enough to, when they make the mistake, to step a little bit further back and let them get themselves out of it. Now, I'm not talking about Nova Grace, 14 months old. She make a mistake. She don't know how to get herself out of it, right? I'm talking about people who have the wits about them, who have the understanding of what life really looks like, right? You want to go ahead and start doing this in their lives, getting them prepared, because at some point, they're going to leave the nest. At some point, they're going to get out of the house and they're going to go into a world that ain't going to treat them the way that you've treated them, right? They, they're going to go into a world that's going to eat them up. They're going to go into a world that's going to try to tear them apart. And if you are taking care of every last little thing for them, they're not going to be ready for it. That was me. That was me. When I went off, I, I didn't know how to pay a bill. I didn't, I didn't know how to, 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 come up with money that I need. I, I didn't I didn't know how to live my life on my own. I didn't know how to get lights cut on in a house. I didn't know how to get a, a phone cut on. I didn't know how to make a doctor's appointment for myself. My mama was making doctor's appointments for me till I was up in my 30s. Come on, huh? Because that, that was it. We hadn't implored that stand back attack yet. She was still trying to save me. She was still trying to get me out of my mess. We've got to, we've got to stop that. Stop fixing every little thing for your child. Let them make mistakes. Let them learn from it. Let them grow in it. I, I see, that's, that's what I feel like the, the, the father did in this story. He didn't run to it. He never stopped loving his kid. You know, he was waiting on his kid, but he didn't run, go save him. And because of that, I feel like it, it bettered the son in the end, right? It made him a better man. Then, and, and it led into this next thing. Let's put up Luke chapter 15, verse 17 through 19. It says, and when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son, make me as one of thy hired servants. So the next thing, the next thing we're gonna implore in this strategy is some hardcore humility. We gotta get to that place of humility, you know? And, and it's not just the son, I feel like, in this instance. We read that and we see where the son has hit rock bottom. He's realized, this is one thing that I come to realize a long time ago, is when you hit rock bottom, you realize that Jesus Christ is the rock at the bottom, Right? And that's what so many of us need. But we get to that, that, that spot where, uh, you know, I finally realized that this ain't all about me, that, that my way ain't the way. I'm struggling to do things. I, I, I'm finally, my pride has just destroyed me. And we get to a, a spot where we can finally start to feel, realize and, and live out a little bit of humility. But I feel like this is not just the son in this instance who has got some humility going on. I feel like the father through this situation has got some humility going on because this is the thing. What strength it must have taken for that father not to run to his son. What strength it must have taken for his father to let him hit rock bottom. What that is, is that's trust. That's trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord is born. Now, humility is born of trust in the Lord. When we're prideful, when we're entitled, when we think it's all about us, there's no trust there, not in the Lord. We're trusting in ourselves. We're thinking we're good enough. I'm smart enough. I, I, I can do this. 
I can get myself out of this pit. I can get myself back in a place where I've got things again. We got to get to that, you know, to that humble. We must, and this is, this is where I see in this story is that as parents, we must first uh, initiate humility with our own lives before our children can understand and see what humility looks like. And so I think that's what this father did right here because this is the, uh, humility and entitlement cannot coexist. Entitlement is filled with pride. Humility is saying it's not about me. So we see this son get to a, a place in his life where he's recognizing, man, I'm, I'm, man, I'm eating with the, I'm, I'm wanting to eat with the pigs. I'm, uh, you know, I could be back with my family. You know, I can go back and I can humble myself before my father, and I can say, you know, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. Take me back. Let me back in. And so, he's to that spot where he has learned a little hardcore humility. And I think we as parents need to be in the same place. We need to learn that it's not about us, that the way that we've maybe raised our child is not the right way. Sometimes that's a hard thing to admit, is that I've made a mistake. I've messed up. I've given my child more than I should have. I've not uh, been as good to them as I could have by just letting them, as we said a while ago, learn from their mistakes. I've, I've not parented as good as when you can realize that you've made mistakes as a parent and accept that, then humility has started coming in. This hardcore humility has started taking its place within your life. And so then we can get to this next thing where Luke chapter 15, verse 20 through 24, it says, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. So this next Thing that we're going to implore in this strategy to defeat enablement and entitlement is called the grace gambit. The grace gambit. Now, the word gambit, what that means, that is, is, is you usually find it in the game of chess. What it is, it's a risky maneuver that you make where you have an initial sacrifice that leads to an eventual reward, right? You initially given up something so that you can get something better back. This is the grace gambit. You know, we must let our children go. We got to stop holding on to their lives so hard because they don't belong to you anyway. So we see in this instance with this father, he made an initial sacrifice of enabling his son, giving his son what he asked for, letting him go make mistakes, letting him go live his life through that stand back attack, letting him go do what he was going to do, making that initial sacrifice. Man, it had to be hard. It had to be a struggle to let your son go when you're, when you know your child is making a mistake, when you know your child is doing something that may, uh, uh, 
mess them up for the rest of their lives, may even lead to their death. That's a hard thing. That's a sacrifice, though, that we sometimes have to make. We have to sacrifice ourselves on the altar to God. You know, the, Lord, the word tells us, Jesus says, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, me, myself. My, my, my thing is, I don't want to do this. I want to take care of my kid. I want to grab my kid up. I want to do everything to, to fulfill my kid, to, to take care of their every little need, their every little want, everything. But the grace gambit says you need to sacrifice that mindset. You need to give that up. Let your child go. Let your child make mistakes. Love your child from a distance. Let them, let them grow. Let them learn. Because then they come back and they see grace. Grace being something that we don't deserve. Getting what we don't deserve. This son did not deserve to be able to even come back to his family. It was a, a disgrace. It was a, a, a ruinous thing that before his dad ever died, he asked for his inheritance. Then he goes off and he just spends everything he's got. He ruins his life. He is caught up in riotous living to the point that he's got nothing left. He's already been given everything that was allotted to him, everything that was going to be given to him upon his father's death. He's already, because of his entitlement, received all of that. There's no reason that he should be allowed back but God. There's no reason that after I lived the life I lived and I did the things I did to my parents, to my family, there's no reason that they should be sitting in this room today. There's no reason that they should have any part of my life anymore. There's no reason that they should love me. I've given them none of those things, but grace was there. It was a a risk that was taken that led to a greater reward in the end because now we have a better relationship than we've ever had. Now we're closer. Now we, we love through the love of Christ because before this, when I was living in that spirit of entitlement and enablement, I, I loved me more than I loved anything else. I would tell them I loved them, I would I would show up to, to events and and you know to Christmas and, and and Thanksgiving mostly because I lived with them and they had it there, but it wasn't really me there. You know the 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 real love wasn't there, but I, I saw grace when I came home, when I finally came to my senses and came back just like this younger son. His, his father comes running, comes running down the road, loving him. He does not deserve that. But because of grace, he receives it. He receives more than, you know, that's why it's a, an initial risk for a greater reward. He comes back and men, they put a ring on him. They put a robe on him. They kill the fatted calf. They call everybody together and they're like, let's rejoice over this son that was lost and now is found. Man, that's grace. Man, that's, that's grace in action. And sometimes that grace begins with a little bit of a risk. You know, you think, man, I don't want to let my kid go through those things. I don't want to let my kid struggle. I don't want to let my kid learn from his mistakes. I don't want to let those things happen to him. But I'm going to tell you, they see grace in you. They see grace being lived out by you. And it's, 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 it's that greater reward when they come home, you know? And so I think that we can defeat 
enablement and entitlement through this grace gamut, maybe making a little bit of risk for this greater reward. But let them see grace in you. Not, not giving them everything they want, but recognizing that Jesus Christ says that he'll fulfill all of their needs in his riches and glory, through his riches and glory. He'll take care of them. He'll do what needs to be done. And so I think uh, as they recognize the sacrifices that you have made, grace, the grace you offer then becomes that much more apparent and important to your children. And so then we move into this last thing, and it's verses 25 through 32. It says, now his elder son was in the field, and as he came back and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and entreated him. That entitlement has got him not even wanting to go in. And he, he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, yet thou never gavest me a kid, a kid being a goat, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So we've got an older brother who is covered still in this sense of entitlement, right? He's telling his father, look, man, this, this dude went off. He, he wasted his life with harlots. He, he spent all the money. He had this party life. He did all of these things that were against you. And all I've been doing has been here serving you. I've been doing everything you've asked me to do. I'm not going in there. I'm not going in there to party. You would never even kill me a little baby goat. I, I, I deserve all this, right? And, and his dad starts doing this. What the dad does, how he's going to defeat what's going on with this son right now, this sense of entitlement this older son has, is he's going to be loving him loudly, right? I know we got the Love Out Loud event coming up, so this is kind of a, 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 a thing for, I don't know what word I'm trying to say, a tribute to that, but we want to love out loud with our lives. As parents, we've got to love loudly. We've got to lead with love. We've got to let them see the love of Christ within us, right? For this father, what he's doing right here, he's telling him how it is. He's like, man, this brother of yours was lost. Now he's found. You know, so many of us, we want to compare our lives to everybody around us, and we feel entitled to do that. We've been able enabled for so long that we think, I can look at them and say, well, I'm not as bad as they are, so I'm doing good, right? I'm not as bad as they are so because that enablement, that entitlement is still so heavy with on us and we think, man, they're lost. I'm not lost. They're lost. They're messing up. I'm doing good. So I deserve everything. And we need somebody who's willing to, like Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth and love to us. This guy comes to him and says, bro, you are messed up in your way of thinking. This brother of yours that was lost is now found. We should be rejoicing. We should be happy. It's no longer about us. This is about what God is doing in him. So many of us are still stuck in that entitlement, looking at everybody else and saying, they're messing up, they're messing up, they're messing up, when you're the one that needs to be fixed. You need somebody to speak truth to you today. 
You need somebody to tell you today, stop being entitled. Stop thinking it's all about you. Stop thinking, oh, everybody's offending me. Everybody's doing this to me. Everybody, everybody, everybody. And realize that it's you that's the problem until you get yourself right with God, until you surrender your heart to him, until you recognize that you've been enabled, you've been entitled, you're being offended because of that. You need to let all of that junk go and let the Holy Spirit of God come inside of you and show you that this ain't about nothing but love for God and love for man. We gotta, we gotta have people in our lives today who will speak the truth to us. I need somebody. I need this accountability. I need this person that's gonna tell me, hey, bro, you're acting entitled. I need somebody I can look at and I can see Jesus all in them. That's what the father was doing for this older brother here. The younger brother has humbled himself. He's come back. He, he's, he's recognized, you know, that, that I've messed up. I've made mistakes. We've gotten his spirit of entitlement defeated, and then we've got this older brother to deal with. And I, I struggle with this because I feel like I'm an older brother. Even as a pastor, I feel like there's times I'm looking at people and I'm saying they don't deserve this. Here's the thing. You get so caught, still, you get so caught up in that, that feeling of offense that you forget about how bad you've offended God. Nobody has ever done me nearly as dirty as I've done God. And he shows me grace. He loved, the Bible says that we love because he loved us first, right? He loved us so much that he sent his one and only begotten son to this earth to hang on a cross to die for mine and your sin. And as I think about that, I'm like, man, ain't that enablement? It is. But it's a different kind of enablement. This is the enablement that enables you to live a life that is not caught up in you anymore. This is the enablement that gives you a way out of the sin and death and degradation that you've been living for so long. It's having a father who loves you in spite of you. It's having a father who says, look, I know you've been enabled. I know you've been entitled. I know you thought this thing was all about you, but I'm here to tell you it's not about you anymore. I'm here to offer you what you don't deserve. I'm here to show you what love looks like. I'm here to love you more than you've ever been loved in your life, more than you even thought love could be. I'm going to love you out loud. I'm going to love you with everything that I am and everything. That, and this is the thing. We are called to be like Christ in this world. You look in 1 John. 1 John, it says that we are called to be like him in this world. If I know God loves me out loud like that, then I better start loving people out loud. I better stop being offended. I better stop being entitled. I better stop being enabled. And I better start loving like crazy. That's my challenge for you guys today is to love on somebody. Stop thinking that it's all about you. And, and, and here's the thing. A lot of times we think we're helping somebody. We're wanting to go take care of somebody else. And we're wanting to do that not for them, but for me. I, I'm going to go help them, but I'm going to let everybody know that I'm helping them. 
I want to go help them, but I'm going to make sure I put it on social media that I'm helping them. That's not real love. That's not loving out loud. That's being right back caught up in that sense of entitlement. Don't let the enemy trick you into thinking that you're out of it when you're still in it. Let God show you what loving out loud looks like. All you got to do is look at Jesus. You want to know what loving out loud looks like? Get in the word. Read everything that you can find about Jesus. That's what loving out loud looks like. Are you loving out loud today? 